going to be um, talking through the same text as last time. Now we were uh, had communion last time, and so we really just touched on these verses briefly. And uh, today we might not go into the detail that you have come to expect as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there's going to be a section where we find the Lord's sample prayer, and we've already spent some time talking about the Lord's Prayer not too long ago when we had a series on prayer. And, uh, but still, it's quite a bit of uh, passage for us to cover, and so I would ask you to really try to hold on and keep your attention. Um, we are planning on this week fixing that last computer glitch that we've had, and so until then, um, we have, for this week, instead of a PowerPoint presentation, I've given you a, a handout on the back of your bulletin, so hopefully you did get a bulletin. I'd ask you to go ahead and take that at this time. And I've got some fill-in-the-blanks. Do not raise your hand and ask for the answer, all right? We'll see how well I do covering those, and I can give it to you afterwards. Um, but I want to go ahead one more time and pray for the Holy Spirit's clear involvement as we open His Word. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we look to You, we would come with the anticipation that the Holy Spirit would be clearly in our midst. We understand that the Holy Spirit resides within Your sons and Your daughters, when we become uh, Christians. But God, there's something very sweet and special when we join together as, as a group to worship. And oftentimes I have this picture of the Holy Spirit just kind of weaving in and out be, between every person here. And I would ask God that that would be the case, that you would make up for my many shortcomings as far as a man and a teacher of the Bible and, and that the teaching of the Holy Spirit would be clear. We do thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are faithful to help in this. We praise you for the Holy Spirit. We praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's made it possible for us to walk in this world with hope because of his shed blood that paid for our sins. We ask now that you would allow your word to be clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There are times when I get to be around something that I'm not real familiar with, and sometimes I'll want to learn a little bit more about that. Sometimes it's a place where I'm not really allowed to go, and so you always try to approach that in a way where you're not going to get into trouble, especially not get arrested, right? I had an opportunity this past year on the, uh, over the 4th of July holiday to see an area where they shot the fireworks off from. Now, I had actually seen this location before, the place where they uh, put the big fireworks into these tubes that shoots them way high in the air. And so I was a little bit familiar with it, but this time I got to learn a little bit more because I, as I was down there and kind of inching closer to the fireworks base of operation, I saw a friend of mine that I knew. And he was helping them with this. So he said, come on over, let me show you everything. And so I got to actually open up one of the containers and hold some of the big fireworks that were there all the time with a disapproving look from my wife who was telling me not to mess anything up, of course, or thinking that anyway. But as I was able to hold some of these fireworks, some of them five inches, like a ball is the size of them, five inch, like a five-inch cannonball almost, and I learned that if, if one of them is five inches, that is going to go about 500 feet in the air before it explodes. Now, some of the splendor that takes place during these fireworks displays is incredible. 
I was able to see the biggest ones, the biggest balls, which were eight inches around. And they would go up, you guessed it, 800 feet, and then explode. And from the crowd, you would hear what? Ooh, ah. Because it was incredible when you saw it. And as that display would come, people oftentimes, and these days it's just amazing, most of us are waiting for the grand finale, but the, the elaborate displays are just incredible. They are glorious. But as I was thinking on our passage for this week and thinking about those firework displays, I couldn't help but think how incredible they are. I'm not sure which ones your favorites are, the ones that do the little fizzle at the end, the different colored ones. Maybe the ones that shoot off other fireworks. But as those fireworks go off, I think it is not but five or six seconds before no one else is thinking of that firework again. As big and as grand as it is, within five to six seconds, people are just anticipating the next one. They're not thinking at all about that one firework that just astounded them and lit up the sky. Now, some of you have been to some of those shows before. After the big presentation, after the one firework, the eight-inch ball explodes 800 feet in the air, and everybody yells, ooh, what becomes of that? What is left of that firework? All we have left is ashes. I've had ashes actually fall on me before at a fireworks display. Nobody's thinking about it anymore. They are on to the next I have observed in my life some acts of kindness, some acts of goodness and charity that lit up the world around because of how wonderful it was. I've seen some things that I thought, boy, I should have that as a part of my life. I've seen some acts of charity and goodness that I have seen people do and I've wondered how they got to that point. And unfortunately, many of those that you and I have observed in this world are going to fade into ashes and be nothing more. But Jesus Christ has given us a recipe for it not to fade, for it to stay brilliant and amazing, for us to do something, good deeds, good works, that will last not just for five seconds, not for five years, But Jesus Christ addresses how we can do some things that will have an impact for all eternity. What we'll see today in God's word is that there is a wrong way for us to do good deeds and there is a right way for us to do good deeds. The wrong way, does it bring a reward? Don't answer too fast. Does the wrong way bring a reward? It does, but it is for a season, the Bible tells us. There's a bright display there, but it lasts only a short time. But it could be that you get a pat on the back. It could be that somebody around you sees it and they think, my goodness, what a mature Christian. My goodness, how wonderful they are. So when we do things the wrong way, there can be a reward that lasts for a short time. But Jesus Christ talks about us getting something that will never fade away, that will never rust And that can never be taken away from us. All that to take us to our text. I'm going to ask you to turn to two places 
in your Bibles. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 6 and hold your place there. Matthew chapter 6 and hold your place there. And then once you're in Matthew 6, which is where we're going to be most of the time today, I would like you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. So Matthew chapter 6 and then over to 1 Corinthians 3. Now while you're turning there, let me give a little bit of review because Jesus Christ, as he's teaching this Sermon on the Mount, he um, didn't didn't throw any softballs in the way of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were ones that had taken the law of God and the message of God and turned it into something that was actually anti-God, anti-Christ. And so when we look at them, Jesus Christ had some strong words for them when he um, is talking about what they have done with God's way. And there was one side, if I can use that, ver- that word, there was one side that the Pharisees had become experts on making look good. It was the outside. Everything on the outside, the Pharisees were able to make look really, really good. They were very concerned about that, and they had become experts on what people saw. You see, what they did not understand was that there would come a judgment. And we get, we get good clarification in the New Testament on these judgments that are going to come. Two judgments that stand out to me and that I want for us to keep on our radar as brothers and sisters as we're walking on our own journey, but also as we rub shoulders in this world with people that do not know Christ. Two judgments that I want to remind us of before we get to Matthew chapter 6. Those two judgments are, first of all, the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. This is a time where the book of life will be opened. And as God looks into the book of life, let me just be really frank with this at the start here. Are you confident that your name is written in the book of life? Do you understand that Jesus Christ came to earth to die on the cross for your sins and that you're not going to go to heaven just because of that? You need to turn to him for forgiveness. Ask him to be your savior. The Bible gives us the gospel clearly. And those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior have their name written in the book of life. And those whose names are not found in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. It is hard for us to understand the time frame that the Bible talks about. This, this shadow, this just short time that we have here in this world And God gives us this opportunity to respond to his invitation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the great white throne of judgment is one judgment. That's not the one we're going to read about in 1 Corinthians 3. It's very important for us to understand. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you are going to stand before God as a judge one day. But he's not going to be judging you for your sins. This judgment for believers is called the judgment seat of Christ. And this is when believers will stand before God and will give an account of their works while they are here on earth. 
We read about this in a number of places in the New Testament, but I've taken us to 1 Corinthians 3. Would you look, starting at verse number 12, with me at 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll read down through 15. Now, right before verse 12, he talks about the foundation that we're building our works on, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So we have to understand salvation. And then it says in verse 12, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by what? Fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So I want for us to keep, I want for us to keep this in mind when we're in Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and flip over there to Matthew 6, and we'll be in there for the uh, rest of our time today. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to do the things that you're supposed to be doing in this world. I don't want to be hard on us. Some of us are thinking, man, it's just enough for me to be obedient sometimes. And you're telling me sometimes I can obey and have the wrong motive. I can obey, spend years obeying, and it could be that I'm not going to see any reward come from that obedience. Last time we focused in on that word hypocrite that Jesus Christ used He used it with all three of these points. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about fasting. And Jesus Christ, when he talks about the religious leaders, uses the word hypocrite, which meant to put on an act or for our purposes today, to wear a mask. If you study through that word as Christ used it, it meant to wear a mask. And Jesus wants for you to avoid the mask that is a temptation as you go through your journey in this world. He tells us how we can have good works that will last for eternity. So if you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin there, number one is to avoid the mask of giving financially for man's recognition. Avoid the mask of giving financially for man's recognition. Let's read the first four verses of Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let me just cut off some thinking at the beginning. It's not bad to want rewards. Jesus Christ is saying there is a reward for the good works that are done with the right motives and in the right way. And so you are not taking anything away from Jesus Christ 
If you are saying, I'm pleased that I will receive a crown someday, a reward someday. We're not taking anything away from him. And also don't think, and here's the, here's the danger with these. I, I use the, the illustration of a pendulum often. You're familiar with the pendulum. The pendulum will be up here and it will swing and it doesn't stop in the middle. Oftentimes it goes way over here. And then it'll be over here and it'll go back and it doesn't stop in the middle. It goes way over here. Oftentimes when we see one argument, that pendulum will swing and we don't stop in the right place. We go too far. Can you see the possibility for the devil here to grab a hold of these three topics and make that pendulum swing and go so far? The first one's the area of giving. Jesus Christ talks here and he gives an objection to the way the giving to the poor was taking place. But you need to understand, Jesus does not say you shouldn't give to the poor. That's not what he says at all. In fact, all of these things are assumed when we find Jesus Christ talking about them. Giving and praying and fasting, they are all assumed that a follower of Christ in Jesus' day would do those things. What Jesus objected to was the way those religious leaders gave to people in need. Almsgiving is the word here. And it revealed something. It revealed their heart. Does that sound familiar with what we've been talking about with uh, this, this wonderful sermon? Jesus Christ is getting right at the heart. That's where he's going to. It revealed their motives. And here is the one sentence practical application for this point. The lesson here is that your giving is to be between you and the Lord. That's what we're getting at here. Jesus Christ wants your giving to be between you and the Lord. Now, are there some rabbit trails that we could take here? Some of us will get done with this and say there were all kinds of things I wanted to talk about, all kinds of things I wish he would have said. There are all kinds of distractions. It's not wrong for us to talk about the right way to do it and what are some dangers, but the devil would love to get us arguing about all the details to the point where we're not giving to the Lord. God looks at our motives. And let me give you just a couple applications. As I've had time over the years to walk through this, this is um, a couple bullet points when it comes to giving. So do not allow the pendulum to go so far to say, well, I'm not going to give anything. Or I'm not going to, you know, I don't have anything that we're going to think about. The right hand can't know what the left hand is doing, Jesus said. Study through this. And let me give us a couple applications regarding giving. First of all, you need to give in a prayed about and planned way to your church family. You need to pray about, you need to give in a prayed about and a planned way to your church family. Now, already some possibilities for arguments, right? Already some opportunities for us to uh, have a disagreement with someone. But I want to challenge you, you need to pray about how much God would have you to give. It's a sensitive topic, no doubt. God talks a lot about giving throughout the scriptures. And so there's plenty of area for you to go and to study. But I want to challenge you not to be afraid of it. 
I challenge us as a church leadership to not be afraid of this. There are some churches that don't even pass the offering plate anymore because of the picture that people who come in that aren't part of the church might receive. It's common around here when we're praying for the offering that we thank God for this opportunity to worship. And you, I encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, to pray about how much of what he has entrusted with you, how much do you want to give back to him? You need to pray about that. You need to be intentional about that, a planned way. Every one of us is built different. I get that. Some of us are built in a way where uh, we like to plan everything out, right? List makers, very much detailed I can remember when I was a young man and listening to my pastor preach on giving and he talked about his giving statement that he got at the end of the year and that stuck in my mind. And even for me, I'm a bit of a list maker today. For myself, if I get my um, record back from the church as far as how much I gave, and I'll talk about that in just a second. If I get my record back from the church as far as how much I gave, if I just add a zero on the end of that, if I haven't come close to giving at least 10% of my income, well, then I failed in my own opinion. I've made a decision that I'm going to give at least 10% back to God. Anybody got any areas you think we might debate right now? Any, any places for argument? How about tithing versus grace giving, right? Do good men disagree on that? Oh boy, they do. Now, let me just be completely honest with you. I'm not too nervous about it, all right? If someone wants to give 10% and that's part of their conviction that they have in their life, I think that's wonderful. That's a blessing. If somebody says, I want to be part of grace giving, if they're genuinely seeking how God wants them to give, oftentimes that's going to be quite a bit more than 10%. Usually people that are praying about giving and how God has blessed them and they're going to give in that way don't usually give one half a percent of their income. I'm not too nervous about it. Most people aren't giving much anyway. So I would challenge you with this. Pray about what you're going to give and have a plan with what you're going to give. And then next, and this is a different one, give as the Lord leads. Give as the Lord leads is this next one. So as you're going through your life, through your journey, and God puts it on your heart to give a gift to someone, maybe someone that you know that's coming up, come upon hard times, Maybe someone that God brings along your path. Perhaps a missionary or an organization that's doing good work. Be able to give as the Lord leads. Don't be just tied in to only giving in that planned and prayed about way. But this is going to assume that you're going to have some money at the end of the month to give, right? I understand sometimes we have more month than we have money. I, I get that. So if you want to give as the Lord leads and you wait till the end of the month and you still owe on your bills, that's going to be a struggle. The reason why God loves a cheerful giver is because they're not gripping that money so tight reluctantly. They haven't decided that they're not going to pay these bills over here. They've been very intentional about what they're going to have and how much they want to give, and you cannot take any of it with you. You never see a U-Haul trailer on the back of a hearse, right? You cannot take any of it with you. So you're going to leave it for somebody else. You can invest it. 
Send it ahead for those rewards that are in heaven. Now, I said I would mention the giving record of the church. And in the country that we live in, we are blessed that um, when things have been set up years ago, we do have to pay taxes, and that's going to happen. And I think we should pay our taxes. But we should not pay more taxes, in my opinion. That's required of us. And so if the government says you can give to a charitable organization and you can give less tax in that way, and that's my understanding, then I think that's perfectly fine. Now, if you don't want to get um, any kind of a record and, and uh, let anybody know how much you give, that's fine too. You can do that. You can pay more taxes while you're doing that. I would just assume not pay more taxes, but give that money where I would want to give it. So a couple areas about giving that are very practical. But the point of it is, is your giving is to be between you and the Lord. All right, let's move on to the second one there. The second one in Matthew chapter 6. And here Jesus is going to talk about praying. He's going to talk about our praying. And um, for your notes there, we need to avoid the mask of praying to impress anyone other than God. Avoid the mask of praying to impress anyone other than God. Let's start reading in verse number 5. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There it is again. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That's a little different, isn't it? As the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then he goes into the sample prayer. I love to increase my vocabulary. I love, it's common that someone will use a word and I'm not familiar with it and I might even stop you and say, I don't use that word very much. What does that mean? Years ago, I had a friend of mine, um, he was a minister friend and he used this word and I wasn't as familiar with it. It was the word perfunctory. Kind of a fun word to say, kind of a funky word to say. Perfunctory is the word. And the reference was this. He had someone come to his church And this individual said, I have never experienced prayer in a church that wasn't someone just praying in some perfunctory way. What does that mean? Is that in the King James? Where is that thing at, right? Perfunctory. And so I looked it up, and the word actually means something done with minimum reflection. Jesus Christ here is talking about prayer. And I'm not sure if if he's using hyperbole here, with them sounding a trumpet before they gave their money. I'm not sure about that. There's good opinions on both sides. But the point is, when we uh, come to this area here of them praying, of them sounding a trumpet, the idea is, is there was something going on where they really weren't praying to God. And I was trying to think of how to apply this to ourselves. Do you think that it's common for Christians to pray and say some words without even thinking about them? Now, I want to be careful here because you can say the words and you can mean them very much. You can repeat the same words, words like Psalm 23, 
or the Lord's Prayer. You can have these and repeat the exact same words and they can be a beautiful prayer from your heart to the ears of our God. And I think, and this is going to be a little bit tough, I think that any, when, oftentimes when we hear someone praying in public, it is a reflection of how they pray in private. Our public prayer is a reflection of our private prayer. And I'm not going to stand and judge anybody. Now, can you keep the pendulum in mind? Where might the pendulum go with this one? Let's never pray in public, right? Let's never do that. Let's, you know, I, you know, let's be very, very careful. God is not honored by the fact that we would not have someone lead us in prayer. Having said that, you can tell when people use words. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given us. You can say that and you can mean that. It's my suspicion that's been said millions of times and it's just somebody getting the nerves out or just going through the motions, something perfunctory, it's meaningless. And here's one practical tip that I'll give for a takeaway when it comes to praying. If you're praying in a group, this is a wonderful way to to approach prayer. Allow yourself right at the beginning just to practice some silence. There's nothing wrong with silence in a season of prayer. It allows ourselves to reflect. And when we speak those words, don't speak something that's meaningless, that's mindless. And also, don't be afraid to pray in public. Lord willing, we're going to have some individuals uh, leading us in prayer in the next few months. We've kind of been on a break and with this whole remodel out in the gymnasium. Don't be afraid to pray in public. Now, I know some of you are terrified to speak in public, right? Me too. Just kidding. I'm not, I'm not really that afraid. When we think of praying, we need to understand it's simple communication with God. Simple communication with God. If we have opportunity to lead in prayer, keep in mind that God is the audience. Now, I mentioned there's something that's controversial that gets people arguing. This is a book from my house. It is titled Grace Before Meals. I love this book. And I kind of grew up with this idea that you don't read prayers. If you read a prayer, you don't mean it. And nothing could be further from the truth. Now, you can read a prayer without meaning it. God doesn't want us to mindlessly read something. And so I'm going to read you the prayer that is to be read before a meal on August 11th. This book is from 1939. I got this for my fifth birthday, 1939. Thank you. All right, just joking. August 11th, and we'll take turns at our family uh, at a meal praying for this sometimes. Thy blessings do impress us, O Lord, thy, gr- thy great love for us. Let us always have the courage to acknowledge Thee and to make ourselves worthy of Thy great mercies. Amen. Thankful someone has taken the time to take from Scripture and to put down 365 different prayers that we can read. And my point is, is don't be afraid to read prayers. In fact, and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to wrap up prayer here in just a minute, but if you want to be confident that what you're praying is actually God's will, have you ever prayed something and you're wondering if this is God's will or not? If you want to be 100% confident that what you're praying is God's will, pray Scripture, right? Pray the Bible. Pray these promises, these things that we have. You can start with God, you have said, and then read from his word. 
Don't be afraid to pray something that's been written down. But do be afraid to allow your prayer to become something other than a communication between yourself and God. And then last, the last one that Jesus addresses here, what mask do we need to avoid? Avoid the mask of making an impression that I am holier than I really am. Some of you are trying to connect the dots between that statement and fasting. I'm going to be out of town next week and Nathan Barrett's going to be speaking and he said, I'm glad I didn't get fasting to talk about. What do you say about that? Let's talk about it just for a moment. And look at my phrase there that I gave you with your handout. We need to avoid the mask of making an impression that I am holier than I really am. Look in verse 16 of Matthew 6. And when you fast, it's assumed, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. They've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The application there is right in the main point. Avoid the mask of making an impression that I'm holier than I really am. Fasting is not commanded for God's children today. Okay? There are many people who have had the blessing and the experience of fasting and they wouldn't trade anything for it. You can buy books on the benefits of fasting. And I'm not talking about anything as far as diet and nutrition here. I'm talking about the spiritual benefits, what God has wanted. And you can study through the Old Testament. You can see in some of the Psalms where God said, I am fasting, unable to eat. The idea is it's putting off something in the flesh so that we can put more on of something of God. Now the ancient Jews were commanded to fast. They had a command that they were to fast one time per year on the Day of Atonement. That's when they were commanded to fast. The religious leaders that Christ is addressing, they had stepped this up. About a hundred times a year, they would fast. Twice a week, the religious leaders would fast. And everybody, knew, everybody around knew when they were fasting. They knew what was going on. And so fasting is not a command for us today, but I think the application that we should take from this is this. Do not try to make an impressive impression when we're seeking after God. It is assumed in the rest of the scriptures and the Bible says we should be seeking after God. We should be putting off some things of our flesh in order to draw closer to God. And so fast or don't fast, that is your choice. And if you have a good experience with fasting, I want to hear about that. Come and talk to me about that. Some of you might look at me and it's obvious that I don't fast too much, right? By looking at my physique up here. There is a benefit to fasting. I think many people have seen. The Bible tells us that we should deny our flesh in order to help us cling to our God. And so fasting is more than just depriving yourself of food. There is a spiritual value that God is getting at when he's talking about fasting. And that's what we can apply for ourselves today. It's detaching yourself from something. You can detach yourself from food and fast. 
or you can detach yourself from something else in this world. And the point is, is you're detaching yourself to something so that you can attach yourself more to God. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 20. The second half of the verse is what I want you to really catch. Deuteronomy 30, 20 says, Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and your length of days. This is an expression that I've used over the years. We use it in church world. It's called separation anxiety. It applies to the wonderful nursery that we oftentimes have in the church. We have the nursery, and how many of you moms, or even your dads, have seen your kids go through a separation anxiety when their kids are getting dropped off at the nursery? Anybody else had their kids go through that? Okay, a few of you out there, all right. So the idea is, is when the kid's getting dropped off, they don't want mom and dad to leave. Now, we got toys in there. I think we even do some animal crackers sometimes in there. There's all kinds of good stuff going on in the nursery, right? The smiling workers, it's wonderful in there. Having said that, there is this not wanting to be pulled away from mom or from dad. There's a fear that is there. We love spending time with our family. We do a lot of time with our family that's close by, and we happen to have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old in that family. They come to our house. We like to watch them and to babysit and to play, and they play with the kids more than they play with the grown-ups. But um, I have a nephew, his name is Ty, he's running around here oftentimes, and he's three. And when Ty comes to the house, he loves to come, he loves to play with his cousins, he loves the toys, but you can see when he's, when he's coming, they come in the door, if he sees mom or dad put on their coat, Ty kind of goes over and gets close to mom and to dad, and you can see the panic on his face. What, 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 what's going on is the thinking, Right? You're, you're, uh, what's going on? And what do we do? We, we grown-ups are so much smarter than those three-year-olds, aren't we? Good job. Good job, grown-ups. We're so much smarter than those three-year-olds. We distract them with something. Something shiny over here. A toy for them to play with. Something for them to do and they get into that. Go play with your cousins and there's all this going on and when they're not looking, what does mom and dad do? Sneak out the door. Go out for that date night. That's the idea. We've got to fool them. We've got to trick them because there will be a high anxiety if they get separated and pretty soon they forget about it and they're playing and most things are going pretty well. Brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to us that we need to be clingy to our God. We need to never want to be out of the sight of our God. That clinging to him that Deuteronomy 30 talked about And what's going to have to happen sometimes is we're going to have to let go of some things in this world. Not bad things. Food's not a bad thing. But sometimes when we let go of that food or you fill in the blank for something else that's important to you, the idea is it allows us to cling more to God. That's the picture that Jesus Christ wants us to have. We should have a separation anxiety when we are detached from God. And I'll tell you what happens. We get involved in this over here and we're distracted. And we kind of forgot. We kind of forget. 
I went three days without reading my Bible and I really didn't even notice. Why? Because you were not tethered to your God. Because you allowed yourself to become distracted. That's this idea of fasting. The idea of something to help us cling to our God. This will mean saying no to some things. And then let me go ahead and give us some takeaways. Really, they're right in your main points. The main points are kind of a negative. uh, Guard against putting on the mask of. If you can just turn those into a positive. We do need to give. You need to give. You can't take it with you. We can debate about where to give that. I'm convinced that God's church is going to be here until Jesus Christ comes back. And I've seen the hundreds that get saved every year through local church ministry, through our missions program. I've seen the thousands that go um, that um, is allowing us to have a church family that can reach our Jerusalem as well as the other side of the world. So I'm not going to argue with you about giving, but I'm going to tell you God wants you to give. It needs to be a reflection of your walk with him. I get sometimes some people are thinking they're, they're in, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of credit card debt. And so what do they do? Well, obviously, God is a graceful God. He wants you to pay back this money that you have borrowed. He doesn't want you paying all that interest. Get a handle on it. But then get yourself to the point where you can give, and that's when you'll be a cheerful giver. And then number two, pray. Praying without ceasing is the great application. Pray for somebody when you drive by their house. Pray pray for someone when you think of them, whatever it might be. But this praying is between you and God. It's a conversation with you and God. And then observe any areas that you are too attached to. And take a fast from that. There might be a time when you can remember you were so clingy to God, there was this tether, you would not be out of eyesight, you would not be out of reach to God, and you've gotten farther away. And the devil loves that. The devil loves to take some things that are good and pull you away from the best. And that is God. Ooh. Ah. That's what we say when those fireworks go off sometimes, right? Some of your families say that. Ooh, and ah. And you never think anymore after that firework has turned to ashes. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he wants you to have an incredible reward. Something that you can send ahead of yourself. And he's given us the recipe. And the devil's watching. He's looking at you. And he's not going to distract you with something that you're going to hate. He might even distract you with something that's good. And we will stand before God one day and our works will be laid out and there will be a judgment by fire. And praise God, there's going to be some silver and some gold and some precious stones that will survive that. Because some of you have figured out, you know what, I've only got so much time here in this world. Here's how I want to spend that time. Because you understand that you're not doing any of these things to be seen by the guy that's down the row from you or the guy that's across the street in the neighborhood. But you do all of these things for your father and your father will reward those who are faithful. Don't you want to hear when you get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we have an understanding 
that you know us better than we know ourselves. We are laid out bare. Naked we came into this world and naked we will go out of this world. And I thank you that your plan is to use sons and daughters in a way that we can make an impact. You didn't choose to have the gospel spread, spread through any other means besides your children spreading the good news. You give us a wonderful church to be a part of until Jesus Christ comes back, how wonderful that is. You give us this avenue for prayer where even at this very moment, Father, you hear my words and you hear the prayers of millions across this planet all at the same time and there is nothing too hard for you. We thank you for this. God, we praise you for what you have given And we ask, God, that you would allow us to keep in mind the end, to see that day we will stand before you and we will rejoice and we will sing. We love that idea of heaven and being with our Savior and no more sickness and no more pain. But would you allow us to see that what we are doing here in this place, Jesus Christ said, you are doing it and there can be an incredible reward ahead of you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna give you a chance to pray. We've had three things we've talked about. We did mention the gospel. It could be that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If that's the case, I would invite you just to where you're at. If you understand that Christ died for your sins and that you want to be forgiven, you can ask him to forgive you of your sins and make him your Savior, even where you're at. If you have any questions about that, hang around after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe God has worked in your heart in something else. Let me encourage you. Take a moment to pray right now.